0: Hey friends, so glad you're watching today. We are so honored to have this guest with us uh, on the Learning to Lead podcast and show right here. You're about to hear from one of the most brilliant men that is alive right now in our time. He went blind when he was 29 years old and he's been blind now for 30 years. But because of this blindness, it caused him to search deep within his soul, to find his dreams, his passions. He went on to write 40 books as a blind man. He went on to make and produce multiple movies that have become uh, huge smash hits in the movie theaters. He has created multiple businesses. One of his most successful businesses was a television network designed to help 13 million blind people in America be able to watch and experience television as a blind person. How he did that is incredible. What he has done is so beyond what people think is possible for a blind person to do. You're gonna be inspired, you're gonna laugh, you're gonna be uh, refreshed to dream again, you're gonna be reminded what it really means to be a leader. So let's get right into this talk, this interview, and this powerful moment with one of the best leaders of our time, Jim Stovall. Well, I want to thank each of you for showing up this morning and being here. And just like Daniel said, we care about seeing businessmen and businesswomen succeed. And we are honored. I feel like the greatest uh, person that we could have to kick this off is in the room. And Mr. Stovall, I shared this with you in the lobby, but I wanted them to hear it too. Your book that became a movie, The Ultimate Gift, changed my life. Um, I watched that movie multiple times with my family right after my father passed. And the, the story in the movie really deals with, um, you know, a, a young man who is learning what life is all about. And his grandfather passes. And that, that impacted my life so much. I cried because I was in a season of trying to figure out what to do with my life. And um, you had a huge impact on me. And so it, you, you being here is also a personal thing for me, it's huge, and so we just want to say thank you for coming, and I want to kick this, this day off with a few questions with you, and then we're going to let you speak, but you've been here before.
1: Yes, I have been here on four or five occasions, and your father was a great friend and a significant impact on my life.
0: Wow. Well, it's an honor to have you back. And I wanted to ask you today just to share a quick little um, kind of review of when you were younger, what stirred you to succeed to what you've done today? What led you to become who you are today and making those
1: decisions to succeed and to overcome the obstacles? You know, I I really never thought about being in business. I didn't know what I was going to do other than I wanted to be an All-American football player and make my living in the NFL. And that was the plan for my life and uh during a routine physical to go play another season of football I was diagnosed with a condition that would cause me to lose my sight and uh, a little quick research told me there was no blind guys in the NFL and uh although if you saw the Cowboys playoff game last year you <laughs> kind of question that a little bit but um so you know that and then I did lose my sight and uh At age 29, uh, I I lost what little sight I had left. uh, I was diagnosed at 17 and um, found myself in this little tiny room in the back of my house and uh, thought I would never leave again. And out of my own need and uh, desperation as a blind person, I developed a system to help blind people interact, movies, TV, uh, blind kids go to school, 13 million of them are across the country, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, you know, Paul, the whole world is praying for a great idea, and they trip over one about three times a week. The only thing you got to do to have a great idea is go through your daily routine, wait for something bad to happen, and ask one question, how could I have avoided that? And the answer is a great idea. And the only thing you got to do to have a great business is ask one more question, how can I help other people avoid that problem? And the world will give you fame and fortune and acclaim and legacy and anything you ever wanted if you'll just care about them and solve their problems. But just like ministry or anything else you'll ever do, it's not about you. It's about them. If you want more money, if you want more success, don't pray for money and success. Ask, how can I serve more people in more significant ways? And the answer to that is <coughs> uh, is, is, is success in business. Uh, otherwise, you're like the guy standing in front of the fireplace saying, uh, give me some heat, and then I'll throw in some wood. It doesn't work that way.
0: <laughs> that is incredible right there. That's amazing. What an answer. Uh, what would you define success as? What is
1: success in your mind? Success is using the talents you've been given in the most meaningful way to impact the most people. Using?
0: The, say the, one more time. Using the
1: talents you have to impact the most people in the most meaningful way.
0: That's a and, powerful definition. And
1: when you consider it in that way, we're all in, you know, we're all in the ministry. We all, you know, um, I did graduate from ORU, and Oral Roberts uh, was first my father's employer and then the president of the university I attended. But late in his life, we became friends. We exchanged books every few weeks, and we would discuss them, and, and, and not the kind of books you would think. They were mostly historicals and things he enjoyed. And... Uh, but, you know, his, his philosophy on ministry was go into every person's world and meet them at the point of their need. And through our conversations, I learned that uh, it's the same in business. Either it's, it's equal in business or we're all in the ministry, one or the other, and you can figure it any way you want. That's good.
0: What obstacles would you say
1: that you see are hindering people from succeeding today? They don't believe in the higher calling that uh, is on their life. You know, I never saw a place in the scripture or in history where someone had a calling, a goal, a passion, a dream that they didn't have the capacity to achieve. I never saw it. Really? So the the question is never, can we? The question is always, will we? And people simply don't believe in the higher calling God has on their life. Every person in the world and certainly every person in this room was put here with a purpose and they have a passion and a calling and a dream and the only thing you got to do to activate it is sit right in that chair where you're sitting right now and go into that little voting booth in the middle of your soul that only you and God know about and think about that big scary dream that, that, that makes you break out in a cold sweat every time it comes to your mind. Think about that big scary thing you always wanted to do and reach up and pull that lever that says yes and vote for yourself and once you do that you'll figure out God voted for you a long time ago.
0: Come on, that is powerful.
1: Come on,
0: I love that. That is awesome.
1: I'm gonna use that sometime. Is that okay? Oh, I figured you'd steal that. Okay. Your, your, your dad was always good at that. Billy Joe <laughs> Billy Joe, and I worked together several times, and he said, I always give you credit the first time. So as, Jim Stovall, as Jim Stovall told me, and then the second time, as someone once said, the third time is as I've always said. and that's- <laughs> Come on.
0: Well, I love it. That is, uh, oh, here's another question. For what is your favorite piece of work
1: that you've done? Um, you know, probably the Narrative Television Network, because when I see the impact it's had on millions of people around the world. But then I look at the 40 books and my weekly columns and the radio. It's the one that impacts someone. You know, people, always, people are still trying to figure out what I do. And I do five things. I do movies, television, books, my speaking engagements, and my syndicated columns. And I visualize it like a four-sided pyramid with a point on the top. And whatever I'm doing at any moment is the point. But it has to support and be supported by the other four. Too many people get caught up in doing something good, and they miss everything that's great. And if I struggle with anything in my life today, it is learning how to say no to really good things so I can be available for really great things. That's so good,
0: that's so good. Um, What would you say to the 21-year-old
1: Jim Stovall that you know today that you didn't know back then? Wow, Um, the dream is alive and well. It's bigger than you ever thought. It's right here in front of you and you're supposed to be doing something today. You know we always look at the future like it's infinite and like we have so much time and if God has placed a vision a calling or a dream in your life and if he hasn't you've missed it so you need to go back and find it so once you find that vision calling or dream it's there for a reason and there's something you're supposed to do today maybe you're supposed to learn about it maybe you're supposed to meet somebody maybe you're supposed to develop your skill whatever it is but it's there but you know we, sometimes we get caught up in it. We don't feel like we have the skill or the knowledge or the connections or the money or whatever it is. And so we're waiting for all the lights to be green before we leave the house. And, you know, that just never works. Step out in faith and, uh, and the provision will be there for you. And, uh, you know, I would encourage my 21-year-old self not to just get out on a limb, but to uh, jump out of the tree completely. I'd have wow. done more sooner.
0: Wow, not just get out on a limb, but jump out of the tree. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, you know, we we all get caught at, what if this doesn't work? And a safety net and, you know, I I would ask myself, my 21-year-old self, the question more, um, what if you knew you couldn't fail? What if success was a promise? Because it is. And uh, what would you do differently? And my late great friend and mentor, Coach John Wooden, the greatest coach that ever lived was Coach Wooden. He won, you know, we're right in the middle of March Madness and uh, it's the most elite thing you can do as a, in sports. And imagine a guy that won 10 out of 12 of those in a row, 10, 10 out of 12 championships, he, he was a national champion. No one's ever done anything close, close to like that. I met him, uh, he was 94, he lived to just a couple months short of 100 a great teacher, great coach, but one of the things that endures from his teaching to me and and our relationship is the simple question. He said, Jim, before you do anything, a phone call, a meeting, you get up to speak, you write something, every encounter you have with every person every day, before you do it, just ask yourself one quick question. What would I do right now if I were amazing? What would I do right now if I were amazing? Because you start doing the next thing amazing, And the thing after that amazing, you'll have an amazing morning and an amazing day and an amazing week and before you know it, you had an amazing life and you impacted millions of people around the world. And if you don't, it's not just you. I tell people when I speak in, almost a million people a year in arena events, and I tell them, if it was just you, I wouldn't worry so much about it. But I went through the first part of my life with sight. And if I had sight right now, I would see you sitting out there. But I don't have sight, I, I deal with vision. And so I, I have no sight of you, but in my vision, you're sitting there and some of you, there's 10 and some a hundred and some a thousand. And a few of you, there are hundreds of thousands of people sitting right behind you. And I know that if you don't get this message, it has nothing to do with me, but if you don't get this deep down inside of you and say yes to that big dream, some of them are never going to have their chance simply because you didn't show up and you weren't the example or you weren't the messenger to make that possible for them. So if it was just you, I probably wouldn't worry about it so much. But, uh, you know, when you really understand that connectivity and that responsibility, you'll understand that mediocrity is the most selfish pursuit of any human being. And... uh, you know, uh, my late great friend and colleague, Dr. Robert Schuler, always used to say, hell is not so much a lake of fire as it is standing before your maker and having him show you what you could have done had you simply had the faith and the initiative. That is so powerful, that is so
0: powerful. What would you say if someone's told you um, that they didn't feel like they were born with all the right characteristics?
1: to succeed or to be a great leader? What would you say back to them? Success is never perfect. It's never easy. It's never convenient. And there'll be a lot of days you don't feel like it. I, after I gave up playing football, I became an Olympic weightlifter and I had a great coach. And he immediately took a giant eight-foot poster of the world's greatest weightlifter, the big Russian, Vasily Alexiev, the world champion, and he put it on the wall where we worked out. and. There was days I said, you know, Jake, I don't feel like it today. My knee hurts. I can't go. And he would point at that big guy and he said, the way you feel has got nothing to do with it. How do you think he feels? The way we feel has nothing to, you know, to the extent we can control our emotions and control our feelings, we can do anything we want to do. And uh, that's a decision. But, uh, you know, if you start waiting until you feel like doing it, um, you'll never do anything. And it's just like, asking that question what would i do if i were amazing you just start acting like you feel like how many times you get up in the morning you got a headache you don't feel good you're not sure you even want to go to work and if you'll do something for somebody else or you get busy doing something productive the next thing you know yeah you forgot it you you know you you're not even paying attention to what you were doing uh, or how bad it felt i mean you just go on and do the thing you control those emotions you control that your environment, and the dream would not have been put inside of you if you didn't have the capacity to achieve it. I'll never be convinced of that. I never saw God call anybody to do anything that he didn't provide the provision and everything they need. But sometimes you got to get down the road. That's why, you know, the children of Israel, when they were in the desert, he gave them the manna every day. You know, there were probably a lot of people there, well, we only got manna for one day. Let's wait till we got enough to get across the desert. No, tomorrow it'll be there. And the day after that, it'll be a little farther and it'll be a little farther. Give us this day our daily bread and uh, just do the next thing right and the right thing next and ask yourself, what would I do if I were amazing? And, uh, and the world will change. So powerful. Uh, one or two more questions,
0: then I'm just going to let you take it. But when you uh, got started in your um, business and in, in what you've done with television and books, was there a time during that season that you failed? miserably failed or did everything work perfectly between then and now once you got going and if you did fail
1: how did you get back up and keep moving you know paul we don't fail till we quit um you know so uh, i had many opportunities to discover a lot of things that didn't work And, and uh but uh You know, I'm a huge baseball fan, and my beloved St. Louis Cardinals opened their season on Thursday afternoon, and that's what I will be doing Thursday afternoon. I love baseball, and as a totally blind person, I'm absolutely convinced I could get a hit off the best pitcher in the major leagues if you'll allow me to change one rule of baseball, which is simply I get as many strikes as I want. And you let me stand there long enough, sooner or later, that ball is going over the fence. Come on. You just let me stand there. You know, and it's not over till I say it's over. I get to, the, you know, God gave me a calling, a plan, a dream, a vision for my life, and it's not done till I say it's done. And everything else just makes the story better. It just makes it better. Yeah, I had a lot of times where everybody around me thought I was going to fail, everybody thought I already had. They had me dead and buried. But, um, no, I just, uh, I just, uh, you know, God is on his throne. His promises are true. The devil's a liar and faith is our victor. And you just, you know, I just, I'm not going to believe that. I just am not. And uh, I've seen it happen too many times. So good. What's the
0: hardest thing that you have done in the last 20 years that really required
1: you, everything, every part of you, the hardest thing that you have pushed through? I think the hardest thing about my life, personally, is uh, the worst thing about being blind is not that you can't see. You can deal with all that stuff. Uh, The worst thing about being blind is that no one has any expectations of you. If if we're all really honest, we do the things we do, generally, because of what people will think of us if we don't do it. So we go ahead and do it because we're expected to do those things. And uh, if I just sat alone in my room and played the radio all day, you know, people would say, well, isn't it great? He can play the radio. That's wonderful. And uh, there's no expectation. So you have to be self-driven and self-motivated. And you have to put people in your life that you give permission and task with the objective of uh, making you get better and push and go and do more. And um, yeah, I just so many things. I mean, writing a book, I mean, you know, Paul, I remember when I couldn't read a book, much less write a book. And you know, when you write books you can't read that are turned into movies you can't see, um, you know, to, to people from the outside looking in, it seems a little absurd. And I, I try not to think about that too much because, uh, you know, there's a certain logic and you can't do this. But uh, logic has nothing, there's never been anything great done that, that involved logic. Faith doesn't involve logic. It never does. It never does. Um, I'm going to tell you something about your father right now because he embodied that to me. After I started speaking, uh, somebody from the White House got inspired and they were at one of my arena events and invited me to be the speaker at the National Day of Prayer. So I go to Washington, you talk about out of my league, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I did it. And I came back to Tulsa. Well, they found out I had been the speaker there. So the mayor had this big prayer breakfast, invited all the ministers and pastors and rabbis and all the faith community to this and uh, the, ma- the mayor decided I should be the speaker. So I get there and here are 400 members of the Tulsa clergy sitting there, every one of them asking themselves the same question, why is this guy speaking and I'm not? And I got really paranoid about that, it's bugging me, and I remember several of them came up before and there was a guy that asked me, he said, uh, where do you preach? I said, I don't preach, I never have, I, I don't preach. And the next guy said, are you a man of the cloth? And I said, well, I, I was kind of proud of my new silk tie I showed him, but it did, didn't impress him very much. And then the third guy comes up and he said, do you run a nonprofit religious organization? I said, no, sir. I run a non-religious profit organization. We're, we're the ones that pay for everything, you know? And, um, and I was just about to say, can I get out of here? I mean, do I have to do this? And then your dad came up, hugged me like he was, and he said, uh, how we doing, big guy? And I said, I said, Billy Joe, I'm struggling a little here. And he said, why? And I said, well, I'm, a, I'm like everybody else in the room. I'm wondering, why am I speaking today? And man, your dad could get intense every once in a while. He put his hand on my shoulder like he was never going to let go and squeezed it, and he said, you want to know why you're here? He said, from the foundation of the universe, God ordained things to come together in a way so that at this place and time you would be the man of this hour with the message for all of us. All right. (laughs) He said, so get over yourself, do what you came here to do. And um, so it was, uh, if I was ever powerful, it was probably that day. And afterwards I was greeting everybody and they a lot of tears and uh, gratitude. And uh, your dad walked out to the car with me and hugged me. And, and uh, he said, see, get over yourself and do what you came here to do. I told you so. I said, that'll probably be your message next week, a three-point message. Get over yourself, do what you're here to do. And I told you so. And um, and he was just amazing that way. and uh, and, uh, and only in heaven will we ever know what your father did fully to to save ORU. ORU wouldn't be across the street today if it wasn't for your father. You talk about a guy standing in the gap and doing what needed to be done. It was truly amazing.
0: Wow, well, I'm gonna let you take it from here. Thank you for sharing that story. It means more than you know. And uh, how many enjoyed that interview for a little bit? We're gonna let him just speak to you for the next 15, 20, 25 minutes. And uh, man, it's an honor. Thank you for sharing that.
1: It is great to be here. You know, each and every time I stand up in front of a group of people like this, somewhere in the world, to share for a few minutes about some things in this life I believe to be important. Every time I do this, I'm always reminded of that time in my life when this was not even possible. I remember that morning I woke up, I was 29 years old, I realized I had lost the remainder of my sight and I began learning how to live my life as a blind person. And the only plan I could come up with that morning involved moving into this little nine by 12 foot room in the back of my house. And in my little room there, I gathered my radio and my telephone and my tape recorder and that was my whole world 30 years ago. The thought of traveling millions of miles and speaking to millions of people or running a television network with over a thousand stations or writing 40 books or having eight of them made into movies or doing a weekly syndicated column read by three million people on four continents or the thought of being here with you this morning, a couple miles from my house, would have seemed as impossible to me then as going to the moon. I couldn't imagine it. So I sat in my little nine by 12 foot self-imposed prison day after day after day, getting more and more depressed and more and more discouraged. And I would probably still be there today except for one thing. And that is the fact that I literally ached, literally ached for people like you to come and talk to. So I want you to know what a thrill and a privilege it is for me to be here. I want to thank you for the invitation. I want to thank Paul for uh, accepting me here for this first uh, event for your uh, business breakfast uh, meeting. I hope, I I promise I would do my best not to screw it up so you can have a second one. And, um, but it is an honor to be here. When you live your life like I do, as a blind person, and some of the most talented and gifted people, In our field of business, publishing, media, some of the best people are willing to dedicate their lives, or in my case, they dedicate their eyes, to making it possible for you to do what you do. You take every opportunity, including ones like this, to simply say thank you. Uh, Missy Brighaman is a great entrepreneur in her own right. She runs a successful um, medical um, records and billing company that's growing. She's a very, very talented person. I had one of the privileges of my life when she came in to my office a few months ago and said, uh, you're on my bucket list. I always wanted to meet you and uh, we have been working together on some new projects and she's just a talented person. She makes me better than I should be and she accepts me when I'm worse than I ought to be and uh, she makes it possible for me to get from there to here. So would you please help me welcome and thank Missy Brigham right over there. And a a new friend and colleague, um, Dr. Kevin Schneider is here today. Um, uh, He has just been named as the executive director of the Stovall Center for Entrepreneurship across the street at ORU, which I'll probably tell you a little about here in a minute. And um, when you have someone with as much talent and experience as Kevin that's willing to take your vision and make it bigger and better than it ever was, and make it a reality, you just have to say bless you and thank you. Please help me welcome Dr. Schneider here today. The Stovall Center for Entrepreneurship started 40 years ago next month. As a 19-year-old sophomore at ORU, I was sitting in chapel on a Friday And uh, the speaker that day, Oral had brought in a man who was a missionary to Africa and he dug water wells for villages in Africa so people would have clean drinking water. And this man spoke and uh, not a terribly distinguished speaker but very inspiring about the mission he had in his life and the people he served. And after he was done, Oral took the microphone and said, I believe we should take up an offering and help this man with his work." Well, I thought that was a pretty good idea, except I only had $17 in my pocket, and that $17 was all the money I had in the world. I had a 10, a 5, and two ones. That was, that's what Jim had right then. So they started taking up this collection, and the basket gets one or two people away from me, and I had, the, my, I had a $1 bill in my hand. I'm ready to drop in the basket, taking my grand total of working capital from 17 to $16. And just as I'm ready to drop my $1 bill in the, the basket, Oral takes the microphone again and said, stop. And boy, when Oral said stop, you stopped. And he said, someone here needs to hear this. Either give God your best and expect his best or keep your money because you're going to need it. Either give God your best and expect his best or keep your money because you're going to need it. I had a fork in the road right then. So I put my $1 bill back in my pocket. I grabbed my 10. Wasn't much, but that was my best. Threw it in the basket then I had a panic attack as the basket goes away because I had a date with Miss Crystal that night, and we weren't a couple yet. You know, you guys know how that is. I was still trying to make some kind of an impression, and I'd already thought a seventeen-dollar date is not going to make much of an impression, but a seven-dollar date is um, is laughable. So after chapel, I met Crystal and. Uh, I said, well, I got good news and bad news. The good news is I was able to help that man a little with his uh, water wells in Africa. The bad news is I've got $7 left for our date tonight. And I thought she'd just leave me there or something. But she said, well, we could just have dinner in the dining room and go for a walk. And given our budgetary constraints, I thought that's about it, I guess. So we had dinner, we went for a walk, and we ended up in one of the empty classrooms there uh, on campus, and she said, Jim, what do you think we are going to do once we get out of college? Well, that was the first time she'd ever mentioned the word we, which I took to be very encouraging that she felt there was a we in the future. So I got really inspired, guys. So I jumped up, I could still see a little bit then, so I started writing on the marker board. I said, well, I'm gonna start a company. And then I'm going to become a millionaire. Then I'm going to write a book. Then they're going to make movies. And I listed all these things I'm going to do. And every one of them came to fruition, except the last one. I said, someday I'm going to find something as meaningful as I thought that water well project was. And I'm going to write one check and hand somebody a million dollars. Going to give them a million dollars. Now, that's pretty bold for anybody, especially a guy that's got seven bucks in his pocket. But I said that, and I always had that in my mind because I knew that God had started an amazing work, but I've never seen anything he started he didn't finish. And last spring, I was in a board meeting at ORU, a two-day advisory board meeting, and we were discussing what should ORU be doing in the year 2030. And we talked about, oh, dozens of ideas. And somebody threw out the idea, we should have a school of entrepreneurship and teach kids from around the world how to be entrepreneurs. And we should offer an undergrad degree and a master's degree. And we should have launching pads and business incubators and give certifications for entrepreneurs and help people build and connect and make their dreams come true through that. And all summer, last summer, I just couldn't get away from that. It was just right there. I tried to forget it and it just wouldn't go away. So last fall, I called Dr. Wilson and I said, "Um, I'd like you to come over to the house. I want to talk to you about something. So he came to our house. We sat in our living room for hours and I laid out my vision for the Stovall Center for Entrepreneurship. And I said, if you and the board of trustees share my vision, I'm prepared to write you a check for $1 million. And he took it back to the board and shared it with some of the deans and professors. And my idea grew. Thanks to guys like uh, Dr. Schneider, my $1 million thing grew. And when Dr. Wilson came back and sat in my living room the second time, he said, Jim, we want to do this, but it's going to cost a million and a half. Okay, there I am again. Either give God your best or keep your money because you're going to need it. So I turned to Miss Crystal. I said, what do you think? And being like she always did, she said, "Uh, I trust you. Give him him a million and a half. And, uh, you know, she has always been that way. You want to give somebody a great gift in this world? Believe in them and believe in their dreams. There's no greater gift you'll ever give anybody. In my office at home, I have this poster. It's as wide as a sheet of paper, but it's four feet long. And at the top it says, success is. And then it lists dozens of things that go into success. But number one is marry the right person. Because you don't get that one right, life gets pretty tough. Well, Crystal has always believed in everything I've said I was gonna do, and, um, and I've always done my best to make sure everything I promised her became a reality. So, um, we, we decided to, uh, to give the million and a half and, uh, we made the announcement two weeks ago and, uh, 16 months from now, I think it is the Stovall center for entrepreneurship will open and we will be helping people all around the world make their dreams come true through entrepreneurship. Everybody in the world works for an entrepreneur. Directly or indirectly, thank you. Everybody in the world is or works for an entrepreneur. I don't care who you are. I had a guy, I said that the other day, and a guy said, I'm a postman, I work for the government. I said, well, let me tell you about the biggest myth in the world. It's called government money. There is no such thing, and you work for entrepreneurs. Everything at some point was one person's vision. This building we're in right now, at some point, somewhere between Billy Joe or Sharon or one of the leaders, this building was a vision of one person. And that person was an entrepreneur. And in the Center for Entrepreneurship, we want to not only deal with business, we want to deal with ministry and social entrepreneurship and changing the world. And, um, and I'm very, very excited about that. By the way, I want to thank all the ORU students for showing up at 6.30 in the morning. That's pretty impressive, guys. When I was at ORU, I was familiar with 6.30, but I thought it was in the afternoon. I didn't know, there was, I didn't know they had another one over there in the morning. So it's, um, it's pretty amazing. And as Paul and I were discussing, God does have a plan for you in your life and a big vision, a scary vision. You may not have thought about it in 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years because sometimes we get so busy making a living that we forgot to create a life. And sometimes here in America, it is so easy to get so comfortable and not push on for the higher calling. And like I said, if it was just you, I wouldn't worry about it. But some of you, right out here, some of you got 100,000 people sitting right there behind you. And if you don't get this, some of them will never have their chance. Because, you know, we live in a world, guys, when it's all said and done, there's an awful lot said and very little done. And people are sick of hearing about it. They just want to watch it. And, you know, in the final analysis, people won't do what I talk about or write about or make movies about. They'll do what you do. They will do what you do. They're watching you right now. You know, people always ask, what should I teach my kids? Um, Just live your life so you would be happy if they emulated you. And they'll get it, they'll get it. That's how we do what we do. I remember, I grew up in a church and part of the Baptist church. And um, I I guess I would say we were religious. I went to service, religion's great till you hit a crisis. You know, you go, you go through the motions, you sing the song, you do the right thing, it's great. But then you come face to face with a crisis and you rapidly go from religion to relationship. Big difference. It's the difference about reading a love story or going home and living with someone. Big difference, guys. And I remember when I had to make that change in my life, in my business, in everything I do. I I thought I was gonna go back and play another season of football. I thought my future's assured I don't have to study, I don't have to do anything. I'm going to be an All-American, then I'm going to make my living in the NFL. And then every year before you go play a season of football, you have to get a physical. They they want to make sure you're healthy before they take you out and try to kill you. That's kind of the way that works. And they poke you, they prod you, they weigh you, they measure you. And uh, it was taking a lot longer than I'd ever remember it in the past. And finally, they brought a doctor in and He had a couple other doctors with him, and they took me down a long hall, and they sat me down at a table, and they said, Jim, we're not sure when, and we're not sure why, but we do know that someday you're going to be totally blind, and there's nothing we can do about it, and your whole world just stops right then, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I came back to my hometown here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and as you well know, every fall, the fair comes to Tulsa. And I'd always been playing ball, so I, I, I really hadn't gone to the fair for many, many years. And I remember one morning in October, I woke up, and I was at the end of my rope. I said, God, if you're real, if you're, if you're real, you better show me today. I need to know that there's a place for a blind guy and there's something I can do, and you've got to show me today. Can you imagine the audacity? I'm glad that God is endowed with grace and mercy. And I said, uh, you gotta show me something today. Well, I went to the fair, I could still see to get around on my own. And first I went to the, the big exhibition building behind the golden driller there, you know? And they had a group doing a demonstration from the previous Olympic games. And uh, be honest, they had the gymnast over there. I went over there to look at the girls actually and the girls were doing their thing and I thought that's pretty amazing and then, then they brought out the weightlifters. And I stood there and watched those guys and I thought that's something a guy could do even if he were going blind. And three years later, I was the national champion and I got to finish my athletic career as part of our Olympic team. Well, I left the IP building or the big uh, exhibition center there and I walked down the midway to the pavilion, they had this giant banner, it said free concert. I had no idea who was playing or when it started, but free really fit my budget. And I went in and I sat on the front row. There was no one else in the arena, so I didn't know what was going on. But I sat on the front row and I, I thought about those weightlifters and I reminded God, you got until the end of the day to prove to me a blind guy can do something. And I prayed a little and I cried a little and I sat there. And I was so intense on my thoughts and my reverie, I was unaware that the arena had filled up around me. Until I heard a voice I'll never forget, said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Tulsa State Fair, the one, the only, the legend, Ray Charles. And they brought Ray out and sat him down at the piano about 10 feet away from me, most famous blind man of the 20th century. And Ray was magic. He was amazing, and I said, okay, Lord, I get it. <clears throat> a blind guy can do something. I figured Ray's kind of got this business, this music thing covered, so I better go do something else. But I knew it was possible. So 10 years later, I'd started my company. We had great success. We won an Emmy Award for our first season on national television. And I was speaking at Madison Square Garden to a. 18,000 business leaders from around the world. And the promoter, after I walked off stage, said, Jim, that was fabulous. That's exactly what we needed. We have another group coming in next week, and I'd like to hold you over. And uh, I said, I'd be pleased to do that. I, we have a rule in my speaking business. You, you pay, we play. Except for Pastor Paul. He's a great constitutional scholar. He believes in free speech, which is why I'm here this morning. <laughs> So um, I said, you want to pay me again? I'll I'll stay. And so he said, well, if you're going to stay in New York, I do have another act in town if you want to stay. Well, I was trying to think of a polite way to tell this guy, now I'm totally blind. I can't get around on my own. I'm not comfortable going through New York and going to a big arena with someone else. But just out of politeness, I asked this guy, I said, who do you have in town? He said, opening Carnegie Hall tomorrow night, Ray Charles. I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll go. He said, uh, he said, you okay to sit on the front row? I said, yeah, Ray and I are used to that. <laughs> so there I am 10 years later. I'm sitting on the front row again. Ray is still magic. And the promoter came up after the show. He says, come on, I'll take you backstage. And he said, Ray has to sign a couple more autographs, then he'll talk to you. You guys can hang out. Well, Ray was signing autographs. I'd been blind for several years. I didn't know blind people could write. So I said, how does he write? Well, Ray heard me, and he said, who said that? And I said, well, my name's Jim Stovall. I'm blind too, and I didn't know blind people could write. He said, son, if anybody in your life ever thinks enough of you to want your autograph, the least you can do is learn how to write your name. Kind of ticked me off, you know. I said, well, old man, you're going to have to show me. He said, sit yourself down here. And he took my hand and we traced out. He showed me how he wrote Ray Charles. And then he told, showed me how I could write Jim Stovall. And we practiced it in a, you know, time after time. And it was another probably six, seven years before I could write anything. I knew how to write Jim Stovall and Ray Charles. That's all I knew how to write. <laughs> but that was the beginning of a great friendship. And uh, Ray played Tulsa, Oklahoma, his third show from the end. And he and I were sitting backstage again and, we both knew that uh, his time was close. And um, I remember sitting backstage at the PAC here in Tulsa, and Ray said, you think when we get to heaven, we'll be able to see? I said, I, I, yeah, I'm kind of planning on it. He said, what do you think an angel looks like? You're know, one of those people that shows up when you need them and is there for you. I said, Ray, I don't know for sure, but if that's the definition of an angel, they look just like Ray Charles. "'cause you were there when I needed you in a way." And, you know, and he, said, he said, Jim, if that's all I'd ever done in my whole life, it would have been worth it. Well, that's you sitting there today. There's somebody out there that's waiting for you to say yes to that dream, that vision, that higher calling God has for your life. And once you get there, you'll find out they were waiting on you. They needed to see you do it and follow in your footsteps. And if not now, when? And if not you, who? And if you'll sit right there in that chair where you are right now and say yes to that big dream, the person that'll get out of your chair in just a minute will be totally different than the person that sat down. 20 years from now, you'll remember today. You won't remember me or anything I said, but you'll remember that's the day I said yes to the higher calling and the big dream. And it all starts here. The road to your future and everything you wanted to be and do and have and create and leave behind as a legacy starts here this morning. If not now, when? And if not you, who? I get to share that message with millions of people. I have 10 million books in print. My phone number and my emails in the back of all of them. Every time I speak at an arena event, I make sure people know how to get a hold of me. I answer every call and return every email. If you don't think so, you try it and you can call with questions. I want you to know from this day forward that I, you got one guy believes in you and believes in your dream. You may have more than that, but I want you to know you've got at least one person believes in you and your dream. And if you don't think so, you can email Jim at jimstovall.com or 918-627-1000. And you just call 24 seven. We have real live people answer the phone. And you, you just tell him, Jim came to Victory Christian Center to the business breakfast and told me my dreams could come true and right now I'm not sure. And I will call you back every time because you got one guy who believes in you and believes in the dream. And God already voted for you a long time ago. I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here. You know, I remember sitting in that little 9 by 12 foot room I told you about, getting broke and depressed and scared and suicidal. And sitting there all alone in the dark, the most magnificent thing I could have thought of, the most amazing idea I could capture, the most tremendous concept I could conceive was not as special to me as getting to spend this morning with you. And as always, I'll leave you with this. Hold on to your dreams and stand tall even when those around you would force you to crawl. Hold on to your dreams as a race you must run even when reality whispers you'll never be done. And finally, my friends here at Victory, hold on to your dreams and wait for the miracle to come because on that miraculous day, your dream and your reality will merge into one. I love you more than I can say. See you next time.